You're listening to the Set the Tone podcast with Anthony Manuel. Every week, I'll be talking to a new guest with a refreshing perspective on body, mind, and spirit to help you see the world and your life in a slightly different way. I hope these conversations inspire you and help set the tone for a new way of being. Here to set the tone with me today is my very good friend, Mélisande Turpin, who is in Tremblant, Tremblant in, is, is Tremblant in Quebec? It's in Quebec, right? Not Ontario? Yes. Okay, good. I, I'm glad I'm not up to date on my Canadian geography, apparently. But Melizon is one of the friends who I credit with a lot of major life decisions that I've made. The reason that I live in the Canadian Rockies is because of Melizon. The reason that I got into yoga and yoga philosophy is because of her. The reason that I act with any semblance of integrity as a person is because of my friendship and experiences with Mel. So I'm really excited to have her on to talk about yoga, to talk about life, talk about relationships within yoga and life and business and all these other things. I'm just really, really, really stoked to have you here, Mel. And um, if, if I was, I, I, Mel is the owner of a yoga studio in Tremblant, which is called the Karma Shala. It's been open for six years now, I do believe in November, right? Yeah. Six years in November. Six years. And it's kind of crazy because when when Mel and I were hanging out in Banff, she was she was managing a cafe and we were working at this cafe together. And now she's been a a, you know a very successful business owner in Montremblant. And I'm really excited to talk to her about that journey. And uh, for those of you guys who are listening on Spotify or on iTunes or on anything, we record these podcasts on www.nofilter.net where they are recorded live, they are interactive. We have some uh, live audience members right now and those live audience members can type in the chat box they can knock and join the stream directly so if you ever want to have an interactive version of these podcasts go to nofilter.net to check them out so mel thanks for doing this with me first of all i know um you know doing a podcast is 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 this your first podcast that you've ever done this is my first podcast ever this is amazing so <laughs> i know we this is like i love i love being people's first <laughs> i'm so excited Thank you so, so much for inviting me on. So Mel, you know, when I started this podcast, I was talking to one of the co-founders and he was, he was really excited that I was doing this podcast on yoga. And he started telling this story. He's like, you know, my first yoga class, man, I went to this, uh, it was a hot day in Arizona and my buddy took me down to a Bikram yoga studio <laughs> and I, I was just sweating and I had to tap out and he was, and he goes on. And the more he talked about yoga, the more I realized he only, in his mind, he only was talking about the physical practice of yoga. And for a lot of people, when you bring up the word yoga to the average person in the West anyway, the image that's usually conjured is the physical practice, the stretches, the down dogs. Um, but I know for yoga teachers, it has a bit of a different meaning because there's uh, more of a philosophical or a historical depth. And the practice extends beyond just the hour that you're spending doing your yoga poses on the mat. So like as the most fundamental groundwork, as a, an owner of a yoga studio, as someone who's practiced yoga for half your life as your bio in this podcast said, um, what's, what is your experience of what yoga is and what yoga means? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super pumped to be here. And that was an amazing intro. Thank you. It was a nice little confidence boost. <laughs> before I answer your question, yeah, I was, it's funny, like if people are listening to this, I don't really think they will know how close we are or like how great of friends we are, but yeah, we have a really special relationship and we were, I think we were in each other's lives at like very, at a very influential time. Where, like the decisions we were making really shaped who we have become and where we are now you know your decision to come out to the rockies because i was out there and i was like you need to come here it's amazing and now it's so funny because you're there i ended up coming back home just our journeys are amazing and i've loved watching um to answer your question yeah yoga for sure is viewed as a physical practice and i mean that makes a lot of sense the way that it's marketed the way that people 
you know, see it from the outside, it's a physical practice, right? There's, we're doing all these different yoga poses and as, as people come to practice yoga right away, they see that it's much deeper than that. But as with anything, and usually it starts with the like outer layer, the superficial layer, and then we start to dive a little bit deeper. So that man's experience was for sure, a purely physical practice, you know, that it was hot and that he was doing different postures. Um, but if he would have continued and gone back a little bit more, you know, then you start to work into more subtle layers of yourself, right? You learn about your breath and your energetic body. And really the practice of yoga becomes this beautiful journey inwards towards understanding ourselves, who we are, and our place in the world. And, you know, you just referenced the energetic body, which is, again, it's really common language for people who have experienced that firsthand. You kind of notice that there's a more subtle aspect of yourself. But for people who are listening, who are like, what is she talking about the energetic body? If you were going to say to someone who, who maybe experiences it without realizing that they're experiencing it, what would you define the energetic body as? So, yeah, this is like one of my favorite things to do in a yoga practice is to, I mean, start with the, what's most obvious to people. Okay. I'm here on my yoga mat. I can feel my body laying down on the mat. Maybe some people can't even feel their body, but maybe they can feel some parts of it. Usually they feel pain or tension because that sensation is really loud and obvious. And then I start to get them to maybe notice their breath. So to me, breath is a part of the energetic body and the energetic body is, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. Like it's something that is, is really felt through the practice when we start to dive a little bit deeper into, okay, yes, I feel my muscles, but then what is, what are other sensations that I feel within the body? And so yoga works with this energetic body as well, where we're literally moving um, energy that's within the body. I don't know if that's going to make it more clear. How do you explain energy? <laughs> yeah. Well, could you, <laughs> could you almost felt, say... It's a felt experience. Right. So could you almost say yeah. that um, things like tension and the sensations of your body, those are more nervous system signals and then the awareness of the energy body would be sort of maybe that like electrical current or that subtle current that makes those sensations possible. And you're, you're becoming more aware of the, the sort of undercurrent of sensation would be the energy body. Yeah. And I would even, you know, I would even say that some of the tension is like a energy that's not able to move or flow or stagnant energy. And so I think the practice of yoga gets us to look in this, this lens, this perspective of seeing everything as energy, right? And, and so, okay, we feel tension in our shoulder or in our neck. I mean, why is it that when we get stressed or something happens, our neck hurts and then our back hurts? It's like, that's universal. We all experience that. So for me, it's, there's something deeper that's going on than just physical. Oh, oh, it's because of our posture. Everyone's posture is different. I really think that it's like this, this energetic sort of like stagnation within the body. And so in our yoga practice, we help to move that energy to make it sort of flow freely throughout the body. And that's why people leave a yoga practice and they, they feel good and they don't, they can't even really explain it. Right. Mm. They're like, what just happened in there? Like, I just, I just had a, an experience that I've never had before. It's because they are experiencing that shift of their own energy. Mm. And I mean, you can, you can really, you can test that for yourself as in you could stretch for an hour and you could isolate each muscle group that you would be stretching in a yoga class versus, and you can even do, you can even sync your breathing to it. And I've done this. I went through a whole 12 week certification with someone who taught me how to stretch for athletes. So it was an athletic stretching course. And I would spend, you know, five days a week for up to an hour a day stretching. But I also had two year periods where all I did was yoga, yoga asana, yoga postures. And the way that you feel at the end of a yoga class versus the way that you feel at the end of a, 
a stretching session, you might feel like there's tension in your body released or nervous system tension that's released in a uh, in an athletic context. But in a yoga class, there is a there's a subtle difference. It it, it penetrates you down to the emotional level. And I think what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say, is there's a connection between the emotions and the thoughts and the body and that sort of interconnected play is what we call energy. Yeah, yes, totally. But I think that stretching can be, I think it really depends on who's leading the practice, you know, and if there is like the difference between in my opinion, between yoga and stretching is that with within the yoga practice, there's this introspection of, of really noticing how you feel, noticing the sensations within the body, noticing how when you move your arm and you feel certain sensation, that creates different sort of emotions maybe or thoughts that arise and starting to see this interconnectedness between, yeah, your, your body, your breath, your mind, energy. I've heard, you know, yoga called a moving meditation before. And the last podcast I did was with someone who started something called Project Mindfulness, whose goal was to make meditation as, as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. So he simplified the definition to being present to your experience and, and the cultivation of awareness naturally happens through that. And it really sounds like yoga is you know beyond the stretching component and just the again moving through the mo going through the motions is your own teaching style sounds like you really invite a deeper awareness to the totality of your experience as you're going through these these the, the practice essentially yeah yes 100 my yoga practice like per my personal practice is it's my time to connect to myself to feel everything that I'm experiencing. It's like, it's this time when I can just be with myself and really come back into my own personal alignment. And I like to offer that experience to students as well, because I think it's so beneficial, you know, to always come back to our center, to always come back to what feels really true for us in alignment with us. You know, it's really easy to to get confused by the opinions of others or the influence by our our world around us, especially now. And you know, our our yoga practice, every time I come back onto the mat, I have this feeling of like, okay, yes, like this is it for me. Like this feels right. This feels true. It really is like this this coming into alignment with myself. Mm. So I know that most, well, any any yoga teacher who goes through a conventional yoga teacher training has to read the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which are like the, it's the sort of core yogic scripture, if you want to call it that. And, you know, the, I've, I've talked about the Yoga Sutras in, on other podcasts, but I wanted to know when you're... When you're teaching yoga and you're inviting this mindfulness, do you feel a pressure to kind of teach through the lens of the scripture? Do you find there's an element of needing to respect tradition a lot? Or do you find that that leaning towards tradition and leaning towards that idea, does it make it less accessible to some people? What's been your experience with that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because of course, we want to respect the tradition and it's important to study the sutras and to really understand and learn the, the philosophy of the practice, but it isn't that accessible for most people, you know, and like, I know so many students who are interested in yoga and I'll hand them some yoga books and I'll hand them the yoga sutras and they're like, I could not get through that. Like, <laughs> it's like the information doesn't resonate at all which makes sense because it was written so long ago. It's like really philosophical, it's super dense. And I think our job as yoga teachers is to bring, you know, what, what makes sense to us from those, those sutras and then to teach it in a way that's going to be really easily digestible for our students. And 
And again, I can only really teach and share things that I've experienced. So if I'm, if there are certain sutras that really resonate with me and I'm like, oh yes, I have lived that, or I've felt that, or I've experienced that, then I can teach it. But if I haven't, then I probably won't be to, to teach that in a way that makes sense for the students or teach it in a way that's, that feels authentic for me. Does that make me a bad yoga teacher? I don't think so. I don't know. There's obviously some people that would disagree, but we are, you know, teaching yoga in a modern world. And I think it's important to take this, this philosophy and bring it to a place that makes sense for what we're living and experiencing now. Mm. I I really like and for me, you know, you as a person have have always represented integrity. Um, and I don't know if I've ever told you that outright, but like I think you're you're one you're one of the people that lives in integrity with what you believe and what your values are. I think more than anyone that I've ever met. Um, and and even just saying that, where it's like you won't necessarily teach. Uh, a philosophy that you haven't experienced or integrated into your own life. I think that that that's sort of exemplary of that of that integrity, right? And like you said, there might be some teachers that would disagree that they should do their best to try to explain the philosophy, even if they haven't necessarily experienced it or integrated it. And you know, my experience is that you shouldn't do that because you're just you're just basically giving these ideas that mean nothing to you on a personal level. They just they're just ideas that sound right that you dogmatically think should be right. And I think that can be a limitation in in following tradition for tradition's own sake. You can end up trying to teach things that you don't necessarily understand from a first-hand experience. So um, I know that yoga as a postural system also has its roots in tradition. And I know that the Yoga Sutras, the philosophy side, um, like you said, it was written so long ago and certain historians would even say, well, the, the original Yoga Sutras wasn't designed for your everyday person. It was a, an instruction manual of sorts for people who were monks, who were, getting, who were ascetic, who were giving up, you know, a lot of their, their day-to-day, quote, normal life to, to attain spiritual enlightenment. So what limitations do you see in, in yoga as just purely traditional practice versus do you see there you see room for it to evolve either philosophically or as a physical practice yeah i think yoga has evolved so much the 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 physical practice of yoga you know the i think the tradition is is the tradition the philosophy is the philosophy and we can we can interpret that philosophy in different ways to sort of make more sense in our modern world um but the the physical practice of yoga, like I'm watching it change so much right now. And that really excites me because we're learning more about the body. And I think that yoga is sort of shifting more um, towards like a, a practice that's more easily accessible for everyone. Um, I have done many traditional practices. Like I was all in with, you know, Hatha yoga, even Bikram, if you can call that tradition. <laughs> um, but mostly Ashtanga yoga. First training was in Ashtanga yoga. That's the yoga that we would practice together. Um, and I really studied Ashtanga a lot. And I think that that type of practice can, for me personally, it only brought me so far. And I felt like there were parts of it that that didn't really fit for my body or what I needed. And, you know, I was so dedicated to that practice, hoping that it was going to, you know, solve some of like my postural issues or like help with, with certain injuries or pain that I was experiencing, but it didn't. And I think that the, the way that I've sort of adapted my practice to make it more accessible for students is incorporating more things about or more things like from the mobility world even from pilates and as i said like i even think your your stretching class to me that could have been a yoga practice if there was that element of asking students to really like turn within and to be really mindful throughout the entire practice so okay. the 
Yeah, the, the practice of yoga is changing so much. And some teachers are choosing to not really include the philosophy or any sort of spiritual part of the practice. You know, for many teachers, they, they offer a purely physical practice. Um, and I benefit from that type of practice as well. And I really appreciate and value that type of practice. Um, it's not what I teach. And then... I also really value like a primary uh, Ashtanga practice. So the primary sequence or series, like I, I love that practice and I love to do it. But again, there's something that was missing from that practice for me. So I'm really just like taking little bits of and pieces of everything that I'm learning and just creating something that I feel really suits my body. And from what my students tell me, it really is helping them as well. And I have all these, these people who, you know, tell me that they, they don't go to physio or they don't, they go to physio, they, they their, their uh, physio gives them certain exercises, but then they just come to my yoga classes because I do all those physio exercises in the class. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So what I'm hearing is, you know, because Ashtanga, for people who don't know, Ashtanga has a, a, a few different series, but these are fixed postures within the series. Not a lot of room yeah. for improvisation. It follows a set number of postures in a particular sequence. And Bikram, I think, is the same way for people who have done yeah, Bikram, Bikram yoga. The, the only way you could I, really call I, it a, tra a tradition is that it's, it's, it's a fixed series, right? And sorry, you were going to say? Yeah, as is Hatha Yoga, Shivananda... They're, they're sort of like these series. So you're always going on your mat and doing the same uh, like postures in the same order. And while there is a lot of benefits to that style of a practice, the yoga world has really shifted away from those, those practices and is creating practices that are, you know, maybe more like body specific uh, working more with progression, so building people up and really preparing the body to go into certain ranges or to to do certain poses. This is Baxter. We never even introduced Baxter. Yeah, we got Baxter in the background. Panting in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what what I'm hearing is while these fixed postures have their benefit. And my, my benefit that I saw was that it was very easy to track my progress in terms of range and comfort within these, these things. The, the limitation is that if someone has specific physiological limitation that stops them from doing the postures, there's not a lot of room for adaptability within them. And what I'm hearing is you're, you're adapting principles from physiotherapists. I know you were into functional range conditioning guys that, you know, the FRC stuff that that some of the people are training these end ranges in, in functional ranges, essentially. And you're adapting these, these new practices that respect, you know, modern understanding of kinesiology, whereas some of these fixed, I knew, I know Hatha yoga is like, it's ancient and it was, you know, and, and Ashtanga yoga, I remember hearing was designed for young Indian men who had too much energy that they needed to burn off, right? And so these practices that had these specific contexts for specific bodies um, in, in a long time ago before we had more advanced scientific understanding of kinesiology, they, they have their use and they have their place, but not being able to adapt them to a modern understanding of, of the body is, is, is going to hurt yoga in the long term as a practice and as a tradition, right? And I, I, it's funny because I even I do another podcast called The Art of Move with a chiropractor here in Banff. And we've had discussions about, uh, you know, he doesn't think anyone should do yoga, period, because of, of how it lengthens ligaments and how it destabilizes different joints. And, and, um, and one of the arguments was it's like it's, it's all these old traditions and these old movements. And I said, you're, you're throwing a baby out with the bathwater here because, again, like you had mentioned, yoga is so much more than a physical practice. Uh, I said, you know, all the movements that you do and all the things that you, all the rehabilitative patterns that you teach, those can all be taught in the context of yoga if if the teacher is bringing this this element of awareness or this element of of the philosophy and the, and the, the self-connection. Yoga doesn't necessarily have to mean 
you know, just an amalgamation of, of traditional postures, right? So I think what you're saying is really important. I think the ability for yoga teachers to be able to adapt with modern knowledge of, of you know, what the body is supposed to do. And, and like you said, you identified the limitations of Ashtanga in your own practice. You said, this isn't quite doing it for me. And rather than being like, but it's the, the tradition, you know, the guru said that I have to follow this sequence and, and work up to the third series and be able to do all these postures. You're like, no, my body wants something else. There's something missing here. And I think that's a, a healthy approach um, where maybe dogmatism and, and can, can sort of supersede common sense. You know, respect for tradition can supersede common sense and can end up hurting people, right? So I think it's really cool that you're able to to progress the practice and 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 move it forward in that way. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, practicing you know Ashtanga, especially because that I think is the one that I dive the deepest into. I always felt like there was something wrong with the way that I was practicing it, or that there was hmm. something wrong with my body. And it took a while for me to realize, like, no, it's just that, like, I need to be better prepared before going into certain postures or this way of practicing actually doesn't feel good in my body. And the more that I've uh, shifted into more of this mobility world, um, shout out to Matt Fippen. He's amazing, studied FRC, and he also has, you know, had a really long journey from more of like these traditional practices to more of this sort of like modern information that we know about the body and science. Um, and I just feel so much better practicing it. And mm -hmm. now I'm able to go into these more advanced postures, which I wasn't able to go into before, like handstands. I have tried, like I kicked up into handstands for years. Mm. So many times. Picking up, picking up, picking up. And it was like, I couldn't do it, you know? And and it also was like hurting my shoulders. It was like bringing tension into my neck. And so I felt really frustrated by that. Then I start practicing all of this mobility work and I start, you know, actually like gaining more range in my neck and being able to go into like this amount of, of shoulder flexion and strengthening my wrist and, and, and bringing more mobility into my wrist. And just by doing that, now I'm able to handstand. Mm. And so, you know, if I think that, you know, you can continue to practice Ashtanga yoga, you can continue to do other practices. If they feel good in your body, then, then you have no problem. Keep going. If they don't, and you really want to practice them, then I think it can be super beneficial to include more of this mobility work in your, in your practice. And as I'm doing the mobility work, like it's, you're literally like, you know, moving every one of your joints and it is like creating such a deeper connection to your own body. So for me, it's still a yoga practice. It's still a way for me to like connect to, to myself, to see my own limitations and to see you know these patterns of tension within the body it's mm. so fascinating for me and 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 i love it and to your your friend who said you know that he doesn't recommend any yoga practice no that makes me so <laughs> sad <laughs> i just really but i totally get it i totally get where he's coming from and i'm guilty too of teaching ashtanga of teaching these practices where i'm just getting people to like stretch and go deeper and you know really long holds and in in really deep postures and now now i know better and i do better right and i mm. think that i think it's an exciting time to be a yoga teacher or movement teacher because of all this information that we're that we now know but I still think that there's a lot of room for the practice of yoga to evolve with this information as well. And again, it's so much more than just a movement practice. You know, it's, it's really a way for people to tune in, to connect to themselves. And that is so important because people literally, the only time that they rest is when they nap or when they go to sleep at night and 
for most of the day, we're plugged in, we're listening to stuff, we're talking to people, we're working, mm. you know, we don't take time to just sit and be with ourselves. And sure, meditation is, is, is a great way to do that. But a lot of people sit in meditation and they're going back to the energy. They have like a lot of tension in certain parts of their body, or they feel restless or anxious. And I like to see the yoga practice as a way of sort of like tricking people into meditation. You know, mm. it's like the mind needs something to do. The mind needs to feel like it's accomplishing something or doing something or getting something. I guess we could say that's more ego, mm. um, but let's call it the mind. And so, okay, fine, mind, you need something to do. Okay, place your hand here, reach your other arm here, or, and then once I get people into those poses, it's all about, okay, now what do you feel? Where do you feel the sensation in your hand? What does it feel like to breathe into this side of the body? Can you feel your breath? Can you feel it as it is expanding your rib cage? And getting people to, to tune into themselves, to connect to their body, because we're we're living in our, our heads all day long, up in the mind. And as soon as we tune into the body, it's like this whole other world of information that we can start to listen to and tune into. Even the most basic meditation usually starts with someone focusing in on the breath, right? And that that is, in in a sense, getting yourself to tune into a function of the body. You know, you're you're feeling yeah. the sensations of the rise and fall of the breath. And, and a yoga practice, it sounds like, is just almost like an exaggerated version of tuning into those sensations. And like you said, you're tri you're tricking people into the into presence. I remember um experiencing such a trend and again this is where I, I i tried to make the differentiation between like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater by saying that just because yoga postures can destabilize joints or maybe they don't respect biomechanics in the way that you believe that they should be respecting biomechanics the level of awareness and consciousness and self awareness and, and self and, and self relationship that you develop through a practice how many hours a day do we spend in external stimuli, right? You, you, like you're saying, you're always listening to something. You always have something popping up in your social media feed. And you have some sort of stimulus that's always telling you how you should feel from outside of yourself. But spending an hour on a yoga mat, moving, or even not moving in, in a yin class, for example, where you're barely moving at all, you're holding postures for five minutes, you still have this... It's taking your, your reference point from an externally referenced source to an internally referenced source. And I think that is the value of yoga, at least in my experience, right? So I love that you're um, able to say, it's like, look, the value here isn't just the physical practice. There are tons of physical benefits. Obviously, you and I have both experienced physical benefits from yoga. And throwing in things like FRC extend the physical benefits of yoga, but the real benefit of yoga is 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 enriching the inner world and creating a deeper sense of consciousness and and self relationship. And so I love that you're bringing that. Now we talked a little bit about the the physical limitations of a traditional practice, um, but we haven't talked too much about we haven't gone too deep into yoga philosophy and i i loved what you said a while ago you and i had a conversation or several conversations where i, I asked you you know how are you integrating yoga philosophy into your life and you're like i don't know what you're talking about because life is just yoga like my yeah. practice is my practice is just life like this is just how i live my life right so i want to dive a bit into that right like we I have a whole other podcast talking with uh, with one of our mutual yoga teachers, Aaron Evans, about the, the yoga sutras, and we're going to dive deeper into that. But when you say yoga is life and the philosophy is life, how does how do how does yoga philosophy inform how you live your life? How do you apply that filter to your experiences? Yeah, it's. I mean, yoga is a way of 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 living. It's 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 choosing to live consciously and as i said any any movement practice to me can be yoga but anything can really be yoga if there's that element of self-reflection of introspection of of tuning into yourself to you know before i make a decision before i you know, have a difficult conversation. It's really just like taking the time to reflect and to 
to decide how I want to show up in the world and, and being, you know, being aware of how my actions, my words, and the way that I show up in the world, how that influences others. And if that is the influence that I want to have, you know, this whole like stereotypical idea of yoga, just being like love and light, love and light, you know, sure that's annoying to hear, but at the end of the day, <laughs> there is some truth to it because we want our actions and we want the way that we influence the world to have a positive impact on others. Right. It is about, you know, doing good in the world. And I don't always do that because I'm human and I, <laughs> you know, make mistakes and yell at people I love when I don't want to sometimes. But <laughs> Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> but, you know, then it's about like reflecting, okay, why did I, why did I react like that? And what do I need to heal within myself and, you know, choosing to apologize to, to people and just being more, yeah, being more aware of how we are living our life, the impact that we're having and not just on others, but also on our world, on our environment, you know, for me, yeah, yoga is life. Yoga influences this, the philosophy of yoga, the practice of yoga, it, it helps to, to support me in, in the way that I, in the way that I show up, the way that I live my life. And like, I agree with you a hundred percent, even in the yoga sutras, the eight limbed path of yoga starts with the yamas and the yamas to me are just character development. It's nonviolence, not lying, not stealing having some sort of sexual restraint and then not being possessive or like not being avaricious essentially. And if you, if you think about that, it's like, that's the first thing that you do before you do any other contemplative practice. Um, you, you're supposed to just start embodying these, these basic moral or ethical principles before you even do any of that. And, and even just exploring, you know, why, <laughs> it, why can't I be nonviolent? Like, why do I, why do I like burst out in rage when I get, angry or like why do I yell at these people uh why are my reactions so intense or or why do I feel like possessive and clingy or avaricious like even just reflecting on why you can't even adhere to these five basic principles inspires so much self-reflection and so much self-awareness and like you said it reveals these spots that you kind of have to heal in yourself right and I find again it's one of these things that has its limitations to a degree. You can take the the idea of like say non-possessiveness or contentment is, is one of the one of the inner qualities that yoga tries to get you to to cultivate. Um, you know, that can sort of be taken to an extreme of like, well, in that case, I'm not gonna seek out capital gain in my business because I should be content with what I have and I shouldn't be possessive. And I shouldn't, and this is this sort of spiritual ego idea of like, you should be a certain way or you shouldn't be selfish because it's not spiritual. And I'm really curious because spiritual business owners, and I've, I've coached many of them. That used to be a, a, like a side job that I did was I would coach spiritual business owners and help them with their, their money mentality. Sometimes they'll consider spirituality or, or the ideals of how you should be embodying these philosophies contradictory to the idea of being successful in business. And now I consider you someone who, again, has incredible integrity. You're, you're living the philosophy of yoga in your life and you're also running a successful business. Have you ever felt, or have you ever even seen in other people, this conflict between spirituality and business success? And if so, how do either you reconcile it or how would you recommend someone else reconcile it? Yeah, that contradiction really exists in the yoga world in so many different ways. And for many, you know, spiritual entrepreneurs. Um, and I think it's just something that we have to, you know, heal within ourselves or create our own understanding about. I mean, you can get pretty lost in the philosophy, you know, of contentment and, okay, I should just be satisfied with what I have. But then sometimes that doesn't really work if you have bills to pay and, 
you know, you need more, more money flowing into your business. You know, we have to constantly be coming back to like our current reality and seeing how the philosophy can help support us in our current reality. Right. Cause the philosophy is ancient. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who associate yoga with something that should be free and, mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, spiritual practices, I guess, because they, they were at a time free um, but even that's shifting. I'm, I'm seeing the yoga world, like really move away from free offerings because it's, it doesn't, it doesn't help support any of us. And if we can start to see money as sort of this exchange of what we value in the world, then I have no problem accepting money from someone who sees the value in what I'm offering. And at the same time, I see the value in what I'm offering and I put a, a, an amount on that, on that, you know, because otherwise I won't be able to offer it because of the realities of having to pay rent and having to pay bills <laughs> and wanting to offer a certain type of experience to the students that, that costs money. And it's something that. Yeah, of course we want, you know, we want to share this practice with as many people as possible. There's so many ways that you can, you can, you know, continue to offer yoga at like a discounted rate or doing things like a trade program where you have people working at your studio in exchange for yoga. I did that at three different studios and it's the reason why I was able to practice so much yoga. So whenever people, you know, are complaining to me and saying, oh, I can't afford yoga or yoga is becoming so expensive or yoga is becoming really elitist, you know, I always challenge them and say that there are ways that we can continue to practice that aren't expensive. Um, you know, we have a trade program at the studio. Um, we also, COVID, we're, you know, offering different sort of like uh mentorship or sponsorship programs to people um, just as a way to provide yoga that or make yoga more accessible to people in our community Um, but then you also have to balance that out with you know having to 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 charge for yoga and having to put a price tag on your offerings and having to accept money and having to have you know, uncomfortable conversations with people who think your prices are too high or that yoga is free or, you know, why isn't it $5? Because that's how much it was, you know, when it was being offered in the park or at a clothing store or, you know, this, this business does it for free. And I'm like, yeah, but they're a massive corporation and I am, you know, very small business. <laughs> so there's a difference. But yeah, I think it's just really about reconciling the the contradiction and, and becoming clear on what feels right for you and and you know making sure that your own ethics and morals are like following a a code that you feel is is reasonable and is yeah in alignment with 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 yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think you know what what you just said is very logical it's like if i don't charge for what i do i won't be able to pay my rent or eat and therefore i will be so deep into survival mode that i won't be able to offer this to anyone and then it benefits nobody And like you said having or or leaning towards too many free offerings hurts everyone in the long run because the energy that you bring when you're well taken care of when you're financially secure you can't pour from an empty cup Right. And so if you're if you're playing the role and it sounds like the role of a yoga teacher fundamentally is to create a space where people have the safety, the energy and the freedom to be present with themselves and to explore themselves on a deeper level than, you know, even just a physical practice. That's something that you you can't even teach at a yoga teacher training. You can teach the postures and you can teach fundamentals of of 
you know, of how you teach and how you show up and you can practice your voice. But I think ultimately the energy that a yoga teacher brings is special and it's something that's earned through their own experience. And it's also something that is dependent on being financially taken care of. Like a, a, a starving yoga teacher is not going to put on a good class and is not going to be the, the same benefit as someone who is well-fed and who isn't worried about paying their bills, right? They're not going to bring that anxious survival energy into their class. So I think that's fundamentally what you just said. I, I, I really like that they're moving away from free offerings because, again, I understand the, 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 the temptation to want to offer something that benefits so many people. They're usually people who are involved in a practice like yoga or a teach, like they do it for philanthropic reasons. They do it because they've been so transformed by the practice or they see the benefits of the practice and they see people suffering and they say, I can help people with this. And they want to help people with this. And I know that it can be a challenge, but again, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? That's that's a big, big thing. If you're going to run a business, if you're going to have a successful studio for six years, congratulations, six years, it's kind of crazy. I, I remember I read that post and I was like, oh my God, has she owned that yoga studio for six years? It also means that I haven't seen you for six years because we so, moved to Trump once. Yeah, so I have officially owned the business five years because I did not open the studio. This is like a whole crazy story, maybe for another podcast, but essentially I went into Karmashala on the first week that it opened. I had just gotten back from Banff and I was preparing my trip to India. So I decided to come home and like visit with family for two months and really prepare my trip and study for my training, my yoga teacher training. So I went into the studio and said, you know, can I, do you have a trade program? Can I work here in exchange for free yoga? Cause that's what I've done at so many other studios in order to practice. Cause I practiced a lot. Um, and I, you know, the woman who, who started it, she said, yeah, I need help, you know, making a website and I need help with this and with that. And, oh, you have a degree in business. Okay. Like, how should I pay my teachers? And right away I was, you know, helping this woman with her business. And I could see that she, you know, she had a, a lot of great skills, um, and she, you know, she like, she had the vision to create this whole incredible studio, um, but she needed someone who could, who could, who could bring a little bit more business knowledge to the business. And so that was me. That's where I stepped in. Then, you know, worked with her for a few months, went to India, came back from India, right away started teaching at the studio because she said, you can teach as many classes here as you want. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's no way that any other studio is going to accept a newbie yoga teacher like me. So I'm going to take her up on this offer. I just taught like an insane amount of classes there. And then, you know, we became business partners. And then after the year mark, actually, she decided to leave. So I've officially been business owner for five years, but yeah, I did leave Banff six years ago and I've been working at Karma Shala for her. It's wild. That's absolutely no. wild. It's crazy. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I'm 29 now. So I was like, I was, you know, so young and, and it just, it all made perfect sense to me. I, I didn't question myself at all. Honestly, I, I questioned myself less back then than I do today. Now I'm always like questioning my decision-making and you know, I guess it's just being young and naive. It I was going to say, do you think it's it's just like a, a youth thing where it's like, no, of course I'm going to do this. And you just kind of go for it or. Yeah. I was like, there's yeah. no yoga studio here in Tromblant. Studio is beautiful. I, I know how to operate a studio. I've worked at so many studios before and I'm a very observant person. So every studio that I ever worked at, you know, I always got to know the owners. I talked to them. I talked to the teachers. Um, even though I was a trade and was like, you know, the exchange was usually, usually cleaning the studio in exchange for free yoga. But at some studios, they saw that, you know, I could do more than clean. So I would do reception duty. So I was learning how to use mind body and, 
I was learning what mind body was. And, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was collecting so much valuable information on how studios are run. Mm. And one of the, one of the studios that I worked at, um, it actually closed, uh, the Bikram studio in Halifax. And even while that studio was open, I could see that it wasn't succeeding. And, you know, I would hear the, the owner talking about how stressful it was. And, you know, she was always doing, trying to do promotions and getting people into the studio. So even that experience, like I really saw why that studio wasn't working and it really helped me to, yeah, to create the, the studio that I have today. Mm. So you have the unique perspective of not only a yoga student as someone who practiced yoga for most of your life, but a yoga volunteer, um, you're a yoga teacher, but you're also a studio owner. So you have all these different angles of understanding about yoga as a business, yoga as, as sort of like a system and an industry. And now you are coming up on six years of working for this successful yoga studio. So if you have, if you were going to mentor an aspiring student or someone who maybe like you just got off the plane from India is like, Hey, I just did my, my, my 300 hour and I want to start and I want to be a yoga teacher. How do, how, like someone who's just getting started, how would you say, what would be the most valuable advice for people who want to, who want a successful yoga business? Start teaching. Start teaching. That is always my advice to new teachers. Sometimes they wait or they feel like they need another training or they feel like they're not ready. My advice is just teach anyone who will say yes. When I mm. first got back, like off of the plane, I went to my, my parents' house and I taught my mom a private class every single day. I taught my sister a private yoga class every single day. I taught anyone who would say yes. And just through teaching, you know, that's where you, that's where you, you get the most experience is by doing the thing, right? right. Like if you want to get good at teaching, you have to teach. You can't just read a book and be a great yoga teacher. My advice is teach. And through teaching, you know, I, I, I always say that I, re I really received way more of the benefits of the practice of yoga through being a teacher than I did through being a student. Mm. I still am a dedicated student, but by teaching yoga and, and by, by owning a studio and by, by choosing this, this, this sort of, this career, um, I really started to receive so many of the benefits of the practice and it all started to really align and make a lot more sense for me. I saw the philosophy in practice. Mm. So how has, how has teaching other people changed how you practice yoga yourself? By teaching people, you really, you know, you realize that you need to modify, you need to adjust. And you realize that that yoga is really challenging. We forget as experienced practitioners or yoga teachers that the practice is so hard and it's so hard in the beginning. Everything is new. Everything is uncomfortable. Everything is intense and you feel awkward and you don't know when you're in, supposed to inhale and exhale and you maybe you can't even breathe it properly in and out through your nose. So you know, you really have to put yourself like in your student's experience. And I just found that by, by teaching, I had to be way more present because I've been practicing for so long. I could do the, the poses, I could do the hard poses, but my mind would be somewhere else and I wouldn't necessarily be fully present. But by teaching, there was so much happening that I had to observe in order to teach a, 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 a good class that I'm like hyper-focused when I teach. Like I'm so aware of everything that's happening. And I think that that presence is contagious and that, you know, it helps other people to be more present too. And then in the end of the class, you know, we all walk away and we just share this beautiful experience of really being 
together in that space for an hour, you know, each on our own journey, but supported by each other. I think that's really powerful too. And what you're saying is, is that, that, that ability to forget that you are, <laughs> that it's hard and forgetting that beginner mindset, that could also be one of the mental blocks that new teachers end up having, right? They forget that it, at the beginning, it's not necessarily supposed to be easy. And that when they go out and teach, they are gonna feel a little awkward. They aren't gonna be super certain of themselves as they are when they're going through their own practice, right? And so that ability to uh, you know, have, have grace for the students will also maybe have great, allow them to have some grace for themselves as they start on their teaching journey. I think anyway, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't teach yoga and I don't pretend to teach yoga yeah, at this point sure. in my life, but. Um, Mel, first of all, thank you for letting me be the person to interview you for your first podcast. I think this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I love talking about yoga and I love talking to you. So talking to you about yoga is like the best thing in the world. Uh, I loved being able to see your face during this, which reminds me if you are listening to this on Spotify or you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, come to nofilter.net and watch these podcasts filmed in real time. You can always watch the video replays, but it's not the same as when you're here live and you can interact with us directly. If you're one of the audience members, you can hit the knock button and actually join the stream and you could talk to Mel and I face to face. Um, this was an absolute blast. If you were going to leave the audience with one final closing thought, just to put you on the spot here, closing thought about yoga or about self-awareness, about anything you want really, what would you leave the audience with today? If you've tried yoga and you had a bad experience, try again. Mm. And you know, if you're if you still feel like there's something about the practice that's calling you in or something to learn stand that you're curious about at the time, you know, it takes it takes a while before you find your teacher and so many people that I talked to have tried yoga once, didn't have a great experience, and so they never try again. And so, yeah, I'm telling you, try again. This is your, this is the call. Your sign, if you were looking for a sign, Mel just gave you a sign. For anyone who wants to learn more about uh, Mel yeah. and her yoga studio, um, not only is she running a yoga studio in Mont-Tremblant in Quebec, which we have determined it's in Quebec, not Ontario. <laughs> So you can check out her, her stuff on Instagram at Melizan Yoga. You can also follow Karmashala at Karmashala. Is it at Karmashala or at Karmashala Tromblon for Instagram? It's at Karmashala Yoga. Okay, at Karmashala Yoga. And then what's cool too is Melizan has created a platform where you can do her classes online. There's Karmashala Online now, one of the more innovative responses to the COVID pandemic and you know, the temporary closure of the studio, yoga must go on. And so Mel, if someone wants to learn more about yoga, uh, yoga with Karmashala online, where can they go visit uh, to find more about that? Um, they can go to line.karmashala.ca and we have a ton, we have hundreds and hundreds of videos on there at this point, because as soon as COVID hit, we went online as, Many other yoga studios did, so they can do pre-recorded content, but we also live stream classes from the studio daily, which is really fun because, you know, for people that aren't close by to the studio or people who don't feel comfortable going back to studios yet, that same feeling of being in the, in the class. Not only that, guys, but because the Shala is in Quebec, there's also, I think there's classes in French as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, we are a bilingual studio, so we have classes in French and in English. So, yeah, if you wanted to check out the video library, uh, you want to check out some of the live stream classes, and you want to experience Melizan's energy, which I highly recommend you do, by the way. 
um, go to online.karmashala.ca. Follow Mel at Melizon Yoga on Instagram. And look on nofilter.net for other upcoming streams where I'm sure I'll have Melizon on again for another stream and you can interact with us live directly. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Mel, for helping me set the tone on the podcast today. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Anthony. This was so fun.